Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. High atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is episode 849 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Wednesday, February the 29th, 2012. Which means you get an extra day this year. Uh, we get 365 and a quarter is the number they give us for days in a year, but everybody knows how that works out. Uh, once every four years, we have 29 days in February. This year, you get one extra day to spend working on your personal liberty. I'm going to spend it talking about what I've seen in the world of the liberty movement with my recent trip up to New Hampshire, and I think you'll really enjoy today's show. I don't think it'll be a, a good one for us to get back in the, in the uh, swing of things, so to speak, as uh, we move forward. Before I get into uh, today's subject, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Fortress Defense Consultants. I'll tell you what, it's important that you support the Second Amendment. It's important that you have uh, guns as a means of defense. I think it's one of the most important things that we can all do to make sure that we can defend our families and defend ourselves and defend our property. But uh, when you go to defend yourself, the thing is that it's not like shooting paper targets at a range. Sometimes people shoot back or try to stab you or club you, or sometimes there's other people around. We call those people innocent bystanders. And uh, you do not go to your highest level of training in a crisis. Generally, you revert to your lowest level of training. That means we all need more, including those of us who are professionals. Uh, those of us who take training can always take more training. So check out Fortress Defense Consultants for some of the best firearms training you could ever find anywhere in the country. And remember, if you can't get up there to Illinois where they're at, they can come to you. So uh, get in touch with Frank Sharp Jr. over there about uh, training at his facility and about remote location training as well. He put together a group of four or five guys. He'll be happy to come down and work with you guys and put something together, even something tailor-made for your individual needs. Next up today, the Berkey guy. Hey, I was just in New Hampshire. There was a lot of talk about taking care of yourself and being healthy, and just about every speaker that got up that mentioned water, you know what they said? And I own a Berkey. Now, that tells you that Berkey's a great product, but why should you deal with the Berkey guy? Well, he's the Berkey guy. If you want a Berkey, go to the Berkey guy. Don't go to, like... The guy with all kinds of crap plus Berkeys. Go to the, the guy that specializes in Berkeys. Go to the guy that has the best relationship out of just about any distributor out there with the parent company, Berkey. Go to the guy that can answer all your questions. Go to the guy that specializes in it. And go to the guy that backs and supports this show. Go to the guy that always takes care of this audience. You're going to hear today toward the end of the show what happens when a sponsor doesn't do anything wrong but doesn't really do a lot right. And their contract comes up for renewal. This is a new day dawning in the Survival Podcast. And uh, you won't just be able to buy a spot here anymore. Some people are just going to get one given to them. But not Jeff. Jeff will be able to stay around as a sponsor as long as he wants to because he's involved in the community. He takes care of people. And I know when I give him my endorsement, I know when I give him my endorsement that it matters. And I know that he takes it seriously. I know he takes care of you guys. So check out Directive21.com today. That's the Berkey Guys website. And, uh, man, water is so important. You need a good water filtration system. The most cost-effective and best bang for the buck that I've ever found is the Berkey system. That's why I endorse it so highly. And the best dealer in Berkey products I've ever dealt with is Jeff. 
And that's why I endorse him, Jeff the Berkey Guy. All right, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, on the video front, I did video the uh, the entire presentation. I've rendered out as an MP4. It's like 2 gig. Uh, it's insane trying to get that thing on YouTube. Maybe I'll try that because uh, I do have the, the special privileges now where I can do things that long. But I've had a lot of aborts, so I was going to upload it over at Vimeo. And uh, for some reason, when I go to upload it, it just doesn't go. So one way or another, I'll get that video for you guys. Got a lot of other stuff coming. Got some new stuff in from Brunel's uh, that I'll be doing some reviews of and uh, some new stuff on guns that I'm going to be doing with you on video and a lot more stuff. And spring is just about here in Arkansas, so the Homestead stuff will be kicking up again. Facebook and uh, Twitter, remember, I put out a lot of information there that I just can't get onto the show that comes in from the audience and whatnot, so it's a good way to stay in touch with, uh, with the community as a whole. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you join the Member Support Brigade, or as we call it, the MSB, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts to over 32 different supporting vendors of the show. Real discounts, not like the fake discounts AAA gets you, but real solid, uh, good quality, high-level discounts with the stuff you're probably buying anyway, like 15% off Paladin Press. That was the people that I just added most recently uh, that will go a long way to help you guys fill out your uh, prepper libraries and your homestead libraries. Uh, Last but not least with that, remember military law enforcement, Peace Corps active duty prior service. Get in touch with me by email before you join Jack at the Survival Podcast. Podcast.com. I will give you a special discount code to thank you for your service to our country. With that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up, and I bet you just noticed a real change in the uh, audio quality. That's because uh, we had an issue. I took the microphone up to New Hampshire, left it at the house today. Dorothy just showed up with it, so I was using our redundant backup microphone for the introduction segment. I'm not going to retape that, so uh, you just have to deal with that during the intro segment. But you'll get the rest of the show in the usual high fidelity we get from uh, the condenser mic that now is in front of me. Um, I'll tell you what, the reason I wanted to do this show is I just felt like, well, I went away and I came back and I'm, I almost feel like a different person. It was a transformational event. It was that kind of event. It was transformational the way these events always are for me. And, and the reason that I say that is because every time I go do these events, I meet lots of people from the audience. And this time I would say a good 25 to 30 people from the TSP audience came and hung out with us at different periods of time and told us about the show and what it meant to them and what they're doing in their lives. And that can't help but transform you. And that transforms you in a very subtle way. More of what you already are. More of who you already are. Uh, it reinforces that you're doing the right thing. It reinforces that you're, you're doing things in a way that is actually impacting people. And it makes you fired up and it turns you on and it makes you just want to do this for the rest of your life. That's how I feel. Like Every time I go out and I meet you guys and I shake your hands, if I'm starting to feel a little bit slow or wondering if I'm keeping up the pace or whatever, and I talk to you guys, man, it's just like it's like plugging the battery into the wall and charging it up to full uh, plus 10%. I mean, that's just how it feels. So that in of itself. But I was also transformed because I have become very, very pessimistic about anything inside the system, anything inside the political system, so to speak. I've always believed the state and local governments are where to make a difference. And that's what Free State Project's all about. It's all about changing New Hampshire into more of a free state than it already is and realizing that can be done with a very minimal impact. The goal eventually is 20,000 people. Uh, and over 10, it took them 10 years to get to 1,000, which I think is huge. I think some of them are a little bit discouraged, and I don't think they should be. And I think they can get to 2,000 in another year. I, they, they think if they can go to 2,000 in, in two more years, they'll be all right. I think they can do it this year. I really think they can. 
Because there's a critical mass to things, and I'm seeing that. I learned some things. I learned that the third largest legislative branch of government, as far as body count in the world, is the New Hampshire State Legislature. Um, you might think that big government is bad. Well, big government with power is bad. When I say big government here, I'm talking about big body of government. And that's actually highly representative. And here's how I mean that. Your state rep in New Hampshire like lives down the road. You know them on a first-name basis often. Uh, you call them and their kids are answering the phone. It's a very small government mentality with a lot of bodies so that individuals can actually gain access to their reps and their state senators, and I'm blown away by that. Um, it, it really has made an impact on me to believe that there's more things we can do at the state and local government layer to, uh, to, to, to fight for liberty. Now, I've gotta, I got to say something with that. It ain't going to be me doing it. It's not my thing. And part of what's really got me fired up here is I realized that like I'm more in the system than a lot of these free staters, and some of them are way more in the system than me. Some are completely on the outside. Some are completely on the inside. Um, I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but more than 12 state reps now are free staters. I'll save that for just a second. But so that means there's people actively working in government, authoring lo- legislation that, that provides greater liberty or, or removing legislation. And there are activists, lobbyist-type people there that are fighting for liberty. I met one girl that basically transformed the knife laws in New Hampshire from stupid to the most liberal knife laws probably on planet Earth. Carry what you want, basically, now. She basically dismantled the entire system from inside. So that has me fired up that people can make a difference inside, outside, or somewhere in the middle, wherever they're comfortable. And it starts to get very, very oppressive when you feel, yeah, I'm telling people to fight in their individual lives, but there's not much we can do about this monstrosity. So I'm kind of fired up with the renewed hope that we can actually make a difference somewhat inside the system with an understanding that doesn't mean that I have to do it or that you as individuals have to do it. That people have to pick and choose where they most belong. Um, but what I want to start out with, because a lot of you guys have been on me about this for a long time, I am what you would call a minarchist. Right? There's anarchist means, anarchist means no state at all. There's no government. There's no governing body. I guess the closest thing you might get is some localized individual voluntary tribalism. Or it would be the best way to describe any kind of actual council or government that would ever exist in an anarchist state that people freely chose to be part of and walked away from when they no longer wanted to be part of it. Uh, and that would be it. And uh, that might not even be good enough for some anarchists. They might want complete and total, you know, people sort themselves out, period. And there is no intervening force uh, other than maybe a community that pans together. And to me, that can get kind of dangerous. So I'm a minarchist. And when I, when I, when I say I'm a minarchist, uh, textbook-wise, I believe that in the strictest sense, the state's necessary, but its only legitimate functions are for the protection of individuals from aggression uh, to protect people as individuals from theft, to protect people from breach of contract and fraud. Uh, that basically we should have a military, a very small military compared to what we have today, a uh, police system of some sort far smaller than we do today, and a court system that's publicly accessible far more so than it is today and far smaller than it is today. I wouldn't have a problem with things like in certain areas, fire departments and uh, being run that way. Prisons and jails, I think, actually do need to be state-run. Uh, so I am the conventional minarchist. And uh, you can look up minarchism for more uh, on that. I believe in electing our government, a republic style of government. 
I do think we were better off under the Articles of Confederation than under the Constitution, though I think the Constitution does work if we actually follow it. I know it gives some powers to government. I would prefer they not have, but it's up to each man and each individual to be the individual enforcer and only let them go so far with that. But I no longer have to debate anarchists ever again for the rest of my life. A lot of you guys have been saying I would just become one. I don't think I'll ever become an anarchist. I really don't. I, I, I have seen too much of the reality of the world to know that not everybody behaves the way that the person with the anarchist philosophy behaves. The anarchist is the least dangerous human being you'll ever meet. Um, I watched one guy that was a complete anarchist just literally be just attacked by this chick that was listening to us in the bar about how wrong he was. And I watched him smile at her and just like never get upset because I don't have, because to be an anarchist, I have to allow you to be a statist. As long as you don't, and the only thing I want is you to leave me alone. You can go have all the statism you want over there, just leave me alone. Right? So, uh, but not everybody behaves that way. People will take, people will steal. But here's what I've realized that I should have realized the first time this debate ever came up with anybody. Whatever, dude, go for anarchism. Go nuts with it. Pull as hard as you can in that direction because minarchism is on the way to anarchism. We have so far to go before we get into anything even approaching a minarchist state um, that you and I will probably never live long enough to see it. So let's, if that's the goal, let's head there. I, I, I kind of look at it like, um, let's, let's pick a branch of, 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 uh, of religion, uh, Methodism, because I know something about this. The goal of Methodist is to, for the individual to attain perfection with an understanding you never will. You'll never be perfect. To follow the example that was given to, uh, to, to us by Christ, and I am not, so don't get like I'm preaching to you here, because I'm not a Methodist, I'm not a Catholic, I'm not even what I would consider a typical Christian. I consider myself a deist, but I'm telling you how this works. So just as an analogy here, so I could be telling you about, I don't know, freaking Lord Voldemort and Harry Potter is an analogy. It doesn't mean that I actually believe in wizards. Right, So it's not one way or the other. I'm totally neutral on this, guys, so don't get upset either way. But the Methodist faith teaches that individuals are on a journey toward the perfection with an understanding you won't get there. And I can see anarchism that way. That's my goal. That's what I want to be. I want to be to the point where there is no state whatsoever. And then here's my question. If we could deconstruct the state into a minarchist society, and continue to constantly deconstruct it, could we eventually build a society that could function in an anarchist uh, philosophy? I don't believe so, but I'm going to give it a shot. Right? Uh, because if you, if you take away oppression of any kind, and then something bad starts to happen, it's really easy to go the other direction. Deconstruction of government is difficult. Addition of government is easy. So we can, we can, if we go, if we take the lid off of something and all of a sudden people go nuts with it, we can put the lid back on far easier than we can take these lids off. So let's go as far as we can in that direction. And I believe that if we could deconstruct government by 90%, the 10% left would be enough. And the 10% left would be enough of a safety net for society. I don't mean it the way the socialists say, but I just think it's interesting that, uh, that coming out of this, I now feel that even though I don't agree with you, I don't even have to debate you anymore if you're an anarchist. Go for it, man. Pull us in that direction all you want. There was a guy named John Bush who's out of Austin, who I'm going to have on the show, who is for, like, complete anarchism, no more constitution, no more government, no more nothing. And I'm like, I totally disagree with that, but I don't care. I think it's great. I think it's awesome that people can have that kind of a disagreement and still basically agree. 
That's something I got out of this. Uh, I do want to start talking a little bit now about what I learned up there about making a change at the state level. Over 12 state reps, I guess that means 13, because uh, that's the number I kept hearing, over 12, uh, maybe there's one in flux or something, are free staters. So they're actually people that are involved in the free state movement are now in the New Hampshire State House. Many, uh, many more are backed by the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. I think it was like 109 was the number that the lady gave from the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. Now, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance basically says, where are you on liberty and will we back you? Are you far enough uh, toward the liberty spectrum? Uh, so those guys working in conjunction but not as part of the free state have put over 109 people that are pro-liberty folks into the New Hampshire State House and Senate. To me, that's huge. And over a thousand people have moved to New Hampshire as part of a free state project. Now, I'm going to tell you, a thousand people may not sound like a lot, but it's a lot in a state the size of New Hampshire. Um, when you start looking at people that are actually involved, it's, it's less than, I would say probably one in 20 people that are of voting age and vote have ever picked up the phone and called the legislature and said, hey, what the hell are you doing? So when I start running numbers against that, I've only got about 1.3 million people in the state to begin with, right? You know, I start looking at things like kids don't vote, a lot of people don't vote. Um, the primary numbers that I looked at were like, in a Democratic primary, like 75,000 people voted in one Democratic primary. This was a president for like general election. Um, you know, I mean, it's just not a ton of people there. Uh, let's say that a half a million people uh, generally vote in New Hampshire elections. And you say a thousand versus five hundred thousand doesn't sound like a lot, but out of those uh, out of those uh, five hundred thousand, let's say that the one in twenty ever calls a state legislator because that's a general election, right? And I'm being generous with the number here, right? So let's say that the one in twenty actually calls. Well, let's say that one in a hundred calls frequently on on important issues. I'm telling you these free state guys that are involved, these guys call all the time. So now I start looking at that and I get to a point where like one in 10 calls that a legislator may get in the state of New Hampshire could theoretically be mathematically anyway from from a free state member. And then, you know, there's plenty of people that think that way that don't even know the free state project exists. I went out to uh uh what was it? Uh, Hampton Beach with my wife and I had a conversation with a waitress that worked there. And we started talking, and eventually it went to business and politics. She was talking about how she's seen a lot, a lot of guys that live out there are millionaires, how she's seen people losing houses and seeing things turn around and, t and talks to people that are switching on about the economy, about the way things are going, and she's not comfortable, and she's very worried about the future. So, of course, I started talking to her about what I did and what we, you know, then we went on to a little bit of politics, and she was going line for line, but this is the day after the conference was over. She was going line for line for line for line for line with everything that I had just listened to people say at Free State, uh, Free State's Liberty Forum, and when I brought it up, she didn't even know they existed. So there's plenty of people in that group that are going to give people the same ear bending because those are the people who are switched on. So when I start looking at that, I start to realize that these guys really can make a difference. And uh, I'm going to tell you toward the end here, if you haven't already heard, how I'm going to try to help them do that a little bit more. Uh, next thing I learned is, and I already knew this, but I, I have a, com a completely different view of it now. Competing currencies are alive and well. Um, there was a lot of co competitive currency uh, talk going around, and a lot of it in place. Uh, I saw lots of AOCS currency. People that were selling silver were selling different AOCS silver rounds. I saw people using them to buy and sell with. 
Um, I saw uh, Free State has their own AOCS copper round. We traded up some TSP copper for some AOCS or uh, for some Free State Project copper, so that we'd have some. We gave away a lot of TSP copper. Uh, more on that in a bit about the TSP copper coins in, in, in just a bit. Um, but yeah, so AOCS definitely there. What I what I saw being used even more in an entire uh, session that I listened to on was Bitcoin. And I understand Bitcoin a lot better now. I, I get how Bitcoin works. Let me try to make it as simple as possible for you. Bitcoin is an anonymous currency that's convertible to silver, gold, or dollars, or other foreign currencies. So basically, I set up an address, and you send me Bitcoins that are based on a number sequence. And I can then either hold them as Bitcoins and spend them somewhere else where people take Bitcoin, or I can go to exchange and convert them to dollars or gold or silver. And there's several exchanges that allow me to do that. And that creates an anonymous transaction. It doesn't avoid taxes because when you do the conversion, now you've monetized it. And now you have income that can be traceable and reportable, but it does create an alternative to the system and an anonymous way to deal with people. I also am a lot more uh, convinced that it is secure And it's not easy to counterfeit, and I understand how it's being "quote unquote" mined a lot better now. I'm going to try to get somebody from the Bitcoin uh, group on to talk about it a little bit deeper. I can just tell you that I'm going to look into the future of how I can accept it as a form of currency for things like the Member Support Brigade. So Bitcoin, I think, and the thing about Bitcoin is that it's a blueprint for a way that things can be done by other competing currencies. Maybe somebody can do it better. Uh, one guy at the end had to ask an awful lot of questions that I guarantee he didn't know the answer to himself. He was trying to sound smart at the session about different ways that people have hacked things in the past and all, but I guarantee if you said, dude, tell me the difference between a MAC address and an IP address, this guy would have went, uh... I don't know. He was just being a jerk. I mean, really the way that it was explained to me made a lot of sense. I also want to point this out for you guys. I want you to think about this. Those of you who completely think that all money should be backed by gold or silver, um, and that creating any kind of a, what you would call, let's call a fiat currency, but not maybe being a fiat currency for the state, but just basically somebody saying, this has value because I've set it up this way. That's exactly what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin could be a model for a public currency system. It has a finite number. It cannot be overinflated. Basically, Bitcoin is actually intentionally in a state of hyperinflation right now because they started with zero and they're moving it forward. And I think the number was like 21 million Bitcoin units will be all that ever exists, but they can be fractionalized down to like some thousandth of a percent per individual Bitcoin. And the market will set the price relative to the quantity and the demand. And I thought it was really cool. And the fact that here's my problem with Bitcoin for now. I don't know about its long-term stability. So as a merchant, as someone selling, and you say, well, I want to pay you with Bitcoins, Jack. My concern is what can I do with them and what is their stability? The fact that I can easily convert them into another form of currency allows me to aid the market by beginning to take them. So Bitcoins are cool. Shire Silver is another cool thing I came across. I was approached by the guy that runs Shire Silver over... Uh, a year ago, and I have to be honest with you, I kind of blew him off because he didn't do a good job of explaining himself or what he did. He has these cards that are silver and gold cards, and you can spend them and take them and do things with them. When I saw them, because again, a lot of people have great ideas, are not good at marketing themselves and telling their story and explaining themselves, I thought that like many things I've seen like this before, somewhere in the world is a vault. 
In that vault is a bunch of silver and gold, and each one of these cars represents one of those pieces of silver or gold, and it makes it like a paper way of sending gold and silver, and people move it around or something like that, and it didn't make sense to me, and it seemed very easy to counterfeit. Until I went to the Liberty Forum and went up to his table and said, Hey, how you doing? Tell me about this so I can understand it better, because I do have an open mind. And he handed me one, and it was about the size of a credit card, laminated with some stuff on it, and it felt kind of heavy. And inside it was a piece of ribbon-looking metal that was silver. Yes, silver's inside there. So one of the things I learned when I started trying to look at minting silver coins, because I did the copper coins, again, more on that in just a bit, um, but it's very expensive to make coins. Building a die. A die is the thing that the blank comes in and stamp hits it, and all of a sudden it's now a coin. Building that die will cost you $500 to $1,000 to build that die. You haven't even bought any metal yet. You're into it that deep. Okay. Then the next thing that happens is you want to run 1,000 coins. The mint that does the work for you is going to charge you a setup fee, somewhere between $100 and $500. If you run enough of them, they'll often waive the fee. Okay. Then they're going to charge a fee per uh, coin minted. And then you have to buy the base metal. And then you go and you try to sell this coin, right? And you pay about spot for the blanks. So if silver's at 35, it's like 37. If silver's at 35 bucks, right? And I mint 500 coins. I have a $500 right there. I'm at 36 just from building the die. Maybe I have a setup fee of 500 bucks. Now I'm at 37, right? Plus, I did not pay spot. I probably paid more than spot, somewhere around 50 cents to a dollar an ounce over spot. Now I'm at 38. Now I got you asking me, Jack, Jack, why is your coin 39.50 when silver spot's 35 dollars? And God help me if the price of silver drops during that period. God help me if I buy my silver and send it to the mint while silver's at 38 bucks and it goes down to a whopping 36 bucks. And even if I get you to buy it, then I get you to pay 38, 39, 40 bucks for it. When silver's at 35 and you complain and bitch and moan and grice and say that I'm ripping you off, I probably make a dollar a coin, which means I have to sell all 500 of them just to get the cost of building the die back, and I still haven't recouped the setup fee. That's making coins today. It's expensive. So what this guy did is he went out and figured out he could buy silver bullion, basically, pure silver, in the form of these like ribbon-looking wire things. And he could buy gold as gold wire. And then he takes this, and he puts the little label on it explaining who he is, his website, what he does. And inside there is a piece of gold that might be 0.05 grams of gold that has value. And that means it can't be counterfeited because it's in there. You can see it. It's backed by his, you know, what he's done. And could somebody counterfeit it? Yes. But how hard would it be to detect a counterfeit? Well, it should weigh a certain amount. The laminate plus the card plus the gold or silver that's in there. If you changed it to something else, it's not going to weigh the same. So it could be, without even opening it, it could be easily checked. In large transactions, you could spot check a few uh, by pulling them out, testing their purity. And you can test their purity by weight. Because the dimensions of each are known because they're fixed dimension pieces that these things are made from. Now, I thought that was cool. And my entire view of Shire Silver, and there's other people doing this, and they're just laminating a silver dime in there. Right, And that way, there's a certain uh, legitimacy to it as a currency because it comes from a certain area. And that means I can go back to Shire Silver and sell it back for, for cash if I want to. Or I can sell it on the open market to somebody else. Now, this is where he blew me away. 
And I've got to work with him on this so I can do this. When you guys pay for Member Support Brigade with silver, or if you buy anything from anybody with silver, think about what you have to do. You have to buy it and pay shipping, or you have to get it locally, or you have to take it out of your stash. And then, after you do all that, you have to send it to me, and then you have to pay shipping. And I give you a deep discount to absorb that. So I do a year for an ounce. At $37, bucks, $13 bucks covers all of that, assuming you didn't buy one coin just to do this thing with, right? And I'll take an ounce of silver in any form. I'll take $1.50 in pre-64 silver U.S. coinage. It comes out to about an ounce of silver as well. What you can do with this, and again, I have to work with him to help him because he needs some help on the web a little bit to make this a little more seamless. But you can go to Shire Silver and buy the silver for me and have him send it directly to me as a gift, quote-unquote, and then that pays for your MSB. I think we can work with him to turn that into almost like a full turnkey merchant thing. And I want to work with him to where he can set up with his vendors that you know your orders come in for 30 days and he ships it all in one lot. That'll help save on shipping. And by including gold in this, small fractional amounts of gold, again, like you know half a gram, a tenth of a gram of gold, large transactions can be completed with a single card. Additionally, he has a thing to do co-branding, so there could be a TSP version of the Shire Silver. Shire Silver on one side, TSP on the other side of the card, and all the different uh, options and denominations that he has, uh, which is leading to me where we're going next. Uh, I'll tell you guys a little bit about the gear shop. I'm going to leave it to them to tell you the rest of the story. Actually, I'll put a link to where they've explained what's going on in the forum for you guys today, so you can see why the gear shop's down. It's going to be down right now approximately till June. Um, Tiffany and TW have done a great job. They've done everything they can to help this audience and serve the community. There have been some problems. It almost appears as though somebody in the U.S. mail system itself in their local area is stealing from them by based on their address. And the U.S. Postal Service, unless things are shipped insured, refuses to even give a damn. That's how far down the ladder we've come with the post office. Post office is a federal organization, man. Um, it, it used to be, and it probably still is. If like there was, there were people that back in like the 30s that were prosecuted under federal felony because they robbed a store, but that store sold stamps. I mean, if people take this stuff seriously, now apparently you can steal from inside the post office as long as you don't use it, but you actually work there, and people will just turn a blind eye. So. They're trying to work to move to Idaho. She's, it's tough for them, man. She's in Idaho right now. He's still in California. I can't imagine being separated like that and only getting together. Maybe I don't know how often they'll be able to even get back together and see each other right now. So we all made a decision with some of the problems that were going on there that they would close the gear shop until June, and then they'll hopefully have everything worked out and bring it back by then. I've also made a decision, though, that I'm not going to let that keep me from selling metal. So I'm going to be bringing up a site that's just for metal. Now, that doesn't mean they can't sell it. It's up to them whether they're going to want to or not, sell the coins and or whatever. But I'm going to bring the AOCS copper rounds back uh, as soon as possible uh, with a website dedicated to nothing but metal for the TSP audience. I will also be offering Shire Silver, some other forms of copper, and some other things there based on what I could set up because Dorothy can now run that full time. So I'll be bringing that back, and I want to contribute to the alternative currency movement as much as possible. So to do that, I have to be willing to put the currency into circulation, to take the currency, and to be willing to do the work to convert the currency. Now, there may be some things I might not ship inside Arkansas to avoid sales tax. 
I mean, that's the big thing right now as a service. I don't have sales tax on anything that I do. It's a, it's, I'm a small business. It helps a lot to not have to deal with that component with state tax withholding or whatever. We can find ways to deal with that though, folks. But, um, TSP copper and a lot of other options for cool copper, shire silver, everything else will be like, will be like, I'm talking like I'm going to try to sort this out in a month. In fact, here's what I need, uh, from the audience today. I know a lot of you guys are like web savvy people. I need someone to help me put together a simple web store without overcharging me. I don't want it for free. I will pay you for it. You'll get the publicity of doing it, just like Jackie Dana did when she built the uh, the site for the Survival Podcast that we're using today. Um, but if you're interested in bidding on that job, get in touch with me. I'll give you the details. Uh, I want to move quick on this, though. Um, Rob at AOCS can crank out coins for me. Shire Silver Guy can get stuff to me. I've got another company that specializes in copper and some other cool things with nickel and titanium uh, that I can get some product from as well. And we can start doing some alternative metals to gold and silver and gold and silver uh, in a very unique way just for this audience. So that will be coming very soon. Uh, moving on, though, uh, another thing I got is that people are waking up. And not just the preparedness. I mean, there's all this nonsense going on with doomsday preppers and all. Oh, by the way, everybody that brought that show up to me said, boy, these people are jackasses. And they were not just people from the audience that know the inside stuff you guys know about doomsday preppers. Um, everybody that brought it up. And no one was really blaming the preppers. I think people get what the network is doing. I got an email today that I was copied on. And it was uh, season two casting was or something like that was the... Uh, the uh the subject line and the person that received it was a member of our community who's a prepper who sent an email back to them said what they're prepping for is the disaster of the discrediting of preppers and that uh the doomsday preppers and shows like it in false reality TV is the disaster they're prepping for so they they couldn't uh couldn't work with them i thought that was cool and i think what they're going to find is the more they do these types of shows the more people are going to go yeah i, I don't want to be on your stupid show uh, another thing with that, a little side note, um, apparently, uh, so, you know, it's, it's Nat Geo doing Doomsday Preppers. Well, Discovery was talking to me at the Self-Reliance Expos and all, and how they're going to do things differently and on, and, you know, it's going to be different, and they're not going to sensationalize it. It's going to be more like the backyard engineer, and I should get involved, and I'm like, still, I'm like, nah, guys, no, I, I don't trust you guys, I don't. Then the, the, the latest girl that was casting for them goes to my wife and, like, uses her vulnerabilities and comes back to me and goes, we're going to be coming to your house next month. And I'm like, no, you're not. Well, your wife's like, I don't care what she said. Well, these geniuses, right, that are going to come up with this 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 different competing show that's going to be so much different, they're going to call it Doomsday Bonkers. So you got Doomsday Preppers and Doomsday Bonkers because these two idiot, you know, they were able to each come up with one word all by themselves. So people are waking up to that aspect, but people are waking up to a lot of other things too. Um, I sat through a presentation uh, given by a guy named Carlos Miller who's down in uh, Miami, and he's more of a, a liberal than a free stater. Uh, but he runs a blog called Photography is Not a Crime. He's been arrested like three times for taking pictures and video of the police or videoing in public places, and he refuses to back down. I also listened uh, to the, the guys from, uh, what was the name of that show that I was on? Uh, free Talk Live. And Ian, who's one of the, the hosts of the show, was speaking. And he, was talk he showed some video of where they, they videoed this judge. And thank God it's video instead of still camera. That's one of the things Carlos said. Carlos was mostly a still photographer, a freelance journalist, and uh, but he's gone to doing video now. Even when he's shooting stills, he has video on him at all times because it's better for evidence. 
And, you know, they follow this judge up the stairwell, and they're basically asking him questions like, you know, do you want to explain to voters why you're enforcing these things and how it's costing them money? This judge, this jackass, gets to the top of the steps, and there's a bailiff up there because they're in the courthouse or whatever, and he says to the bailiff, not these guys are bothering me, not these guys are harassing me, I want these guys thrown out. Arrest them, they're threatening me, and that's a felony. So he, and there was no way for him to, to actually say that because the whole thing was videoed. And I think things like that are beginning to wake people up. And more and more people are coming into like this, this, uh, crossfire with law enforcement, with public officials, with security guards, with, you know, public security guards, private security guards. You can't, you can't video that here. When I say private, I don't mean on private property. If somebody tells you to turn your camera off on private property, you turn your camera off. Period. Because it's private property, as long as they're the one that owns it. Now, if it's my property, and I tell you you can video, and someone on that property that's there as my guest tells you you can't, you can very well tell them to shove it up their ass. But when you go to private with public property, with all these different security, private security guards under public employment, public security officials like in subway systems and stuff like that, just telling you you can't video, you can't take pictures here. There's a lot of fighting going on there, but the reality is we're winning that war. Because what they end up doing, this is what Carlos told me, they, they end up not charging you with anything except resisting arrest. Even if you don't resist arrest. That's the only thing they can come up with because none of the things you're actually doing are a crime. And then the resisting arrest, well, how, he always says, how can there be arrest if there was no crime? So do you have, you can't even, it's not that you charged me with a crime and then I resisted arrest and then I was acquitted of the crime but I still resisted arrest. In the end, you didn't even charge me with the original crime. So what, what was the arrest based on? Uh, that I supposedly resisted. And he talked about even like, if you're serious about doing this, like wearing body cameras and things like that, there's software, if they delete your stuff, you can, uh, you can back up. But here's what I think is going to happen in this movement. More and more people are going to start working with streaming video and even streaming stills, where when they take the camera away or break the camera or delete from the camera, it doesn't matter because it's already everywhere. You can do that with your smartphones, iPhones, etc. already. And that was another thing that he said you need to be doing is setting things up like that so that if they try to destroy the episode, and they've done it. Uh, one of the times he was arrested, when he got his camera back, they had completely deleted all the information, but he used some software to recover it. Um, so I think that there's, there, there, people are waking up to what's going on. And I don't consider it at war with authority. I consider it making authority accountable to the people that they serve. And I think that a good cop shouldn't give a shit if you videotape them making an arrest. They shouldn't be saying, hey, hey, put that away. They should, you want to video me making it? Fine. If you're doing your job right, see, this is the thing. The, the government tells you, when they put these cameras everywhere and do this crap through the Patriot Act and all, hey, um, you know, um, if you're not doing anything wrong, there's nothing to worry about. Well, why can't that work the other way? If they're not doing anything wrong, why is there anything for them to worry about? So I think more and more people need to do this. And uh, I think what's really cool is the way these, these folks in, uh, in, in free, the free state movement have each other's back. If they have something like going on with law enforcement, they get on a phone and like 12, 13 people show up in video and take pictures while they're dealing with the problem so that there's a documented, uh, what actually happened. Instead of fighting it, I think we need to use, these things are being used against us more and more. And what I see Free State doing and a lot of other people doing is, is kind of doing the martial arts thing and redirecting the power. The other thing Carlos said and Ian said and anybody that's involved in doing these types of things said is the best way to do this is show up with like a dozen people. 
You can't make a dozen people all turn their cameras off. When there's one, you can get aggressive with them and intimidate them. But while you're doing that and ten other people are videoing you, you have to control yourself. So everybody out there that listens to me knows I'm a huge supporter of local law enforcement when they do their job the right way. In most instances, I don't trust them to do their job the right way, so I make them verify that they're doing it the right way, which is my job as a citizen. I, I would never talk to the police in any situation where I believe there's any way that could ever be interpreted as, as a suspect without counsel, because that's my right. And I know they will lie to you, and they're trained to lie to you, and some of them do it because they like to, and some of them do it because they just think that's the way it's supposed to be. But it's up to us to be our own guardians. And I think this new age of video and, and audio and photography, and I know there's a lot of pushback from authority, but we need to keep fighting that fight because I'm seeing it's making a difference. The other thing I saw with people waking up, the local, real, etc. food movement is hitting a critical mass. More and more people are worried about restrictions on things like, see, here's the thing. I don't, I don't care if I ever drink raw milk again for the rest of my life. I don't care. But I damn sure think you should be able to if you want to. And if it's your cow, you have a right to drink the milk out of it. If you want to sell it to someone who wants to buy it, that's fine. I don't have anything against raw milk when I say I don't care. I just don't drink that much milk. So, And this is, I think, something that people need to start understanding. You don't have to have a dog in the hunt to understand which side of the hunt is right. So you don't hear me talk a lot about the whole raw milk thing, right? Because it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't like really hit me hard. It's not like when somebody tries to take away a garden. That hits me hard because I garden. But it doesn't mean that I don't fully back the people on that side of the movement. Um, I listened to a gal that was really cool. She wasn't the greatest, best speaker, but God, the information was solved. Her name was Jody Emery, and she's a naturopathic physician. And she was talking about, you know, knowing where your food comes, knowing its source. And she was going on and on and on, going, oh, my God, that's AgriTrue. Those who want to know what's up with AgriTrue, uh, our coder, Don, has uh, got a lot of back-end work done. We kind of have a front-end done. It's the way it's going to look is done. Uh, he lost the job. They're moving to a different state. As soon as he's in place in his job, he'll be back to coding it in his off time. Uh, but it is moving forward. But it was like everything she was saying about what you need to do at an individual local level, AgriTrue makes portable. AgriTrue makes feasible for the busy mom or the busy dad to be able to do. So I realized the work we're doing there is spot on, and it's needed, and it's what people are already asking for and looking for. Um, so... Everybody that I talk to seem to be more concerned about growing their own food, dealing with local producers, dealing with uh, individual growers, food freedom. Joel, Sa Joel Salatin's speech was awesome. I actually missed the last 15 minutes of it to go down and do Free Talk Live. I had to go give an interview, so I didn't see the end. Uh, I kind of cheated and just went up to where he was sitting at the front of the room and got him to sign a copy of his book, Folks, This Ain't Normal. I felt really bad about kind of jumping the line that way and doing that. But I figured since he'd been on the show with me uh, that he would be agreeable to do it, and he was. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have actually gotten to shake his hand or get one of his books autographed. So I cheated a little there, but I think it was worth doing. And Joel was awesome, and he resonated with so many people. I also want to tell you, a lot of free staters were really taken in by modern survivalism. Um, it, it was uh, it was actually amazing to me to hear two things from people. The first one that was amazing is I was told that I was the most requested speaker by free staters. When they put out a thing and said, who do you want to come up here and speak to you? And, you know, they bring in big-name guys like Salat and Schiff because that brings a lot of peripheral people that are not part of the movement in. But when they said, who do you want, I was the number one requested person. Um, I had no idea that people in the Free State Project were so 
uh, into modern survivalism and listening to the show and like knew who I was. I've heard from a few people and I, and they said a lot of free staters listened to you. I didn't get that it was that many. So that was cool. But then what also got me, and, and not that I was shocked by this, but I was shocked by the results of it. Um, a lot of people came up to me after my talk and said, I never heard you before. That part didn't shock me because even if half did, there's a lot of people there, so half didn't, right? But when they came up to me, they were like, when they heard just the basic 12 tenant philosophy of modern survival, this makes sense to me now. I want to do this. Like as soon as they heard that you could actually do this in a way that would benefit your life, even if we didn't have a total disaster, they're like, I'm on board with this now. Uh, it was just absolutely phenomenally awesome. Well, here's one great example. Uh, Sunday morning, uh, everything's pretty much done, but we had a brunch and like a closing ceremony, open mic type thing. And I'd say about half the people showed up to that. A lot of people were hungover. A lot of people just went home and they were tired after all that time. But about half the people were there. And we all sat down for brunch. And everybody's had a buffet. And, you know, I'm all paleo eating my sausage and bacon. And uh, these folks say, you know, hey, can we sit down here? And I'm, of course you can. There's a, a guy and his wife, young guy. And I'm thinking he looks familiar to me. And they start talking to me about my presentation. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this and that. And, like, this makes sense now. And, like, she was actually more into the idea than he was. And finally it comes out who these people are. The guy was named Will, and his wife was named Brooke, and their last name is Buchanan. Any of you who have seen the film, uh, when I mentioned it last year, called Libertopia, might recognize those names. Will Buchanan is the guy that walked from Oregon to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. And he's just an amazing young man. And he, they were, his wife was from Hawaii. She flew into uh, Oregon. They they went there. Uh, her father-in-law, or, or her father or his father, one, helped them pick out an RV. She drove the RV. He would walk every day. He would get to a point. She would pick him up. They'd go sleep. And the next morning, they would go right back to that spot, drop him off, and he'd start walking again. He got tremendous media coverage going all the way across the country. And to me, like the best part of the whole film, Libertopia, is he's coming across the bridge from Vermont into New Hampshire. There's a whole bunch of free staters waiting there for him, which shows the community in action. And they're holding up signs that say, like, you no longer walk alone. And that's the, the way those people had their back. But anyway, this guy who was so involved with this that he did that wasn't really on board with the whole prepping thing. But as soon as they heard the philosophy, they're like, oh, this makes sense now. This is what I want to do now. I want to make this part of what we do now. So people are waking up and people are becoming more and more receptive to the concept of modern survivalism versus bunker mentality. Um, and the big thing that I've noticed, and I, I say that I probably won't move there, and I'll talk about that more in a bit, but the one thing that kind of pulls at me that I would love to be part of this, people have each other's back in this movement. They have each other's back. When something goes wrong for somebody and a call goes out into the network, help arrives. And that is so awesome. And that's part of waking up because I tell you all the time about building local community. These folks are not just building community. They're going there to be part of a community and they're taking it seriously. Uh, I want to talk a little bit here as I finish up the impact on me. First, like I just said, I likely won't ever move to New Hampshire, but it could happen. Um, the community is a huge draw. The place is a huge draw. The property taxes are high. Uh, $120,000, $150,000 place, you're looking at Somewhere between thirty-eight and forty-two hundred dollars a year in property taxes. 
I also though, look at it and go, well, I don't have an 8.5% sales tax like I do here in Arkansas, so the money in some levels is a wash, but I control my spending, and they can only raise sales taxes so high, and property taxes have gone up a lot. So it's hard for me to move to a state for less government when they're going to tax my ownership of property so highly. It's also cold up there, and my wife loved it, but I can see my wife by the second year going through the second year of a New Hampshire winter, and they're not having a New Hampshire winter this year. They're having a really mild winter, and I, I don't know if she would, and I, you know, i got to keep the peace and keep everybody happy here, but it really would pull at me. But my determination to fight is stronger than it ever was. It's stronger today than it was last Wednesday before I got on the plane and went up there. It really is. Um, I ended my, my, my talk there with keep fighting. Wherever you are, keep fighting. And understand that you can be part of what these folks are doing without actually moving there. By just supporting liberty, defending liberty, and, and doing the same thing, Emulation is the greatest form of flattery, folks, and I think that the free state people really are on this mindset of we want everybody to come here, and we don't even want to hear about, you know, not in a bad way, but like we don't even want to hear about you know, the free state Wyoming or this liberty thing in Texas. We're going to do it here, and they need to be that kind of focused. But at the same time, once in a while, they need to pick up and look and go, yeah, other people are fighting too. Because the reality is the way you defeat an opponent that is the monstrosity, that is the state, federal, and local governments across this nation, is you've got to hit them every which way from Sunday, from every direction, until they can't deal with you anymore. They're like, oh my God, stop me. Just do what you want. Leave us alone. That's how we have to be. We have to be as badgering and as hard on them as they've been on us over the last 200 years of eroding our liberty. We have to fight inside the system, outside the system. Get guys elected to a state legislature, a town council, I don't care, and deconstruct the beast from the inside and go do things with alternative currencies and gray market stuff and even in some cases black market stuff on the outside. Form community, fight back. Never, ever, ever, ever give up that fight. I also had an interesting experience. Um, I, I spoke to quite a few people that I had very, very differing views with but because they're coming from a libertarian philosophy and so was I, we were able to discuss the views without like degrading or attacking each other. And there's something that happens there. Even someone, I consider myself very open to competitive, competitive ideas. Unless they're stupid. Unless I know that they're false. If you want to convince me um, that, that water is dry, I, I, I don't have time for that debate. I just, I mean, come on. And there's some, there's some issues out there that I just feel like that about. But when we look at things and we go, well, we all acknowledge the problems there. Let's look at all the solutions that are possible. I find myself more receptive to competing ideas uh, after being at the Liberty Conference. I think that if you spend time with libertarians, you will become more open to competing ideas, even if you don't agree with them. You'll consider them, and I think that this is the beauty. Too many people, especially what I call the Internet libertarian, you never actually talk to anybody. You just debate in chat rooms and forums and blogs. You get into this myopic view. It's this way and anything else is wrong. Where the way we actually evolve an idea is party A brings something to the table, party B brings something, C brings something, D brings something, E brings something. And we all look at it together and go, well, that sucks and that's good and that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. And the eventual solution is not really what anybody came up with. It's a... It's an evolved, enlightened solution based on everybody's ideas. And that can only happen if people are open to competing ideas. I also would tell you that my view on currency isn't different, but it has, however, expanded. Um, I've been trying to not do something. And that is 
to not tell you how to build a currency the way a lot of the gold bugs or the metal people want to, to let you do that for yourself. I even wrote a book where I talked about how to properly construct a government public currency with no gold backing or with, let's say, a commodity backing that's a basket commodity backing. I never wanted that book to be more than it really is today with some edits and some few things to turn up, but the, people are so resistant to it. I've been thinking to myself over the years that I need to actually expand that book and say, okay, well, here's how we would do a gold standard. Here's how we would do a bimetallic standard. Here's how we would do a trimetallic standard. Here's what a world completely full of competing currency. See, the whole point of the book is to quell the notion that just back it with gold and the problem will go away, to, to quell that. Well, the eventual solution, and I say it in the book, and I think people just think I'm, I'm disingenuous in the book, uh, is you can have whatever you want, but go create it and explain it. Don't just tell me if banks have to compete for your business, the, the gold standard will work in a pro, because it doesn't. It hasn't. It, it has not. It's never worked. But there are ways that it could work. And what I've wanted is people to construct those things for themselves. Well, actually seeing four very different forms of currency working together in a marketplace, has expanded my view on that. And what I think I might do is put a few more chapters in that book and say, okay, here's a trimetallic standard. Here's a, here's a monetary system based on gold, silver, and copper. Or here's a monetary system based on gold, silver, and nickel. Or here's a monetary system based on three metals that aren't even any of those. I know you think that's heresy, but not if I don't keep you from building one based on whatever you want one based on. So I think I might take this expansion and bring it to people, and I might even just like, I don't know, once a week write a chapter on a different monetary system for that book and come up where that book gets expanded out to several hundred pages maybe even, and each system is explained. And what I want people to understand when I write something like that is I write it the way a defense attorney would write it for his client, even if he thinks his client's guilty. So I build a very compelling case for why it'll work, and I expect you to come up with a better solution, not just to say I'm wrong because somebody else said I was wrong. That's that's laziness. That's apathy. That's how the hell we got in the mess that we're in in the first place, is that apathetic approach of it'll just be fine if. Let me tell you something, what, what I have learned in my years in the world. Whatever anybody says will just be fine if, whatever comes after that usually is wrong. Because they've never actually lived in a place where it looked that way, and they don't even know what it's going to and They have no idea about the unintended consequences. What makes currencies work is so complex, and it's a confidence. It's a willingness to trade. It's the ability to be exchanged. And when you actually see it function and work, it takes things to a different level, and you start to think there's other ways to do this. And the one thing that the people that want a completely independent currency system are right about is if we did that, we let everybody do it, who knows what we would come up with. And it's really an interesting thought experiment to think about that. So my view on currency really isn't any different, but it is expanded. Um, next, I want you guys to know I'm going to do something. I have a sponsor. If you want to know who it is, look today and then look tomorrow. And when you don't see them there, you'll know who they are, who will no longer be a sponsor of the show. They've done nothing wrong. They've never not taken care of the audience, ever. But they have never sponsored a contest. I never hear from them, only when I send them an invoice, and they do pay their invoices on time. I don't hear a lot of complaints about them, but they don't get involved with the MSB. 
They don't get involved with the forum. They don't get involved with the chat. They never contact me. They're just there. Um, I believe in philanthropy. I believe in donating to good causes. I believe that when you get to a certain level of success, uh, not at the point of a government gun, but at the point of your own conscience, it's time to give back. I sell sponsorship to new sponsors for over $3,000 now, and there's a line of people waiting for that spot. I could just say, I'm not renewing you. I'm looking for a more active sponsor and sell that spot, and I would sell it tomorrow morning. In fact, I would sell it before I turn the microphone off. If I just put it out, there's sponsors waiting that listen, and I'm sorry, guys, you're not going to get a chance at this one. I am giving that spot for free to the Free State Project, Uh, they took it as I'm giving it to them for a year. I know it's going to be more than a year. I can't say it's forever. I don't know that. I don't do things forever. But basically, for the foreseeable future, uh, well past a year, uh, the Free State Project, all they need to do is get me a banner to go on the site. And I've talked to Carlo, the president of the group, uh, about that. They're going to get a banner to me, and they'll go into the rotation with the other sponsors. They'll get a weekly show mention, and I am putting my endorsement behind the Free State Project, rather than have them sponsor the show, we're sponsoring them. And there's some other organizations that I may look to do that with in the future as some other sponsors. And I don't have any bad sponsors right now, but I do have sponsors that won't come on for an interview, don't ever have listened to an episode. They just found us as a media outlet. And that's fine if your business is selling advertising, My business is not selling advertising. My business is serving my audience. That's my business. My customers are every person that listens to this show. And I have learned over and over when I go out and talk to you guys, you shake my hand and you thank me for things, that what I say matters to you and who I endorse matters to you. So I want to endorse the best people, not the people with the biggest budget. And for me, I think if I had said, you know what, guys, I will give you this sponsorship. If you will buy it, they would have bought it. We could have come to a deal. But it would be wrong of me to take from that organization that way when I feel so emphatically positive about what they're doing. So I'm donating the space. And I think that that's something for other business people to look to emulate. Now, there was a time when I was trying to get this, this business off the ground, and I could only be so charitable. But as, I, as I've gotten to a point of sustainability, I think it's incumbent upon me to give more and more back. That's why I do things like the service discount. That's why I do things like sales once in a while. That's why I'm going to do things like this with some other organizations. I mean, uh, and, and I, I'm thinking, I want to hear from you guys today what you think about this. The two other organizations already have uh, buttons for them on the site that I would think about doing this for are Appleseed and Oathkeeper. Uh, when I look at what those two organizations are doing for America, and then I look at something like Free State Project, I think that that, that really is, is, is a great match uh, for the show. But I want to do this with people that you want me to do it for. So if you can think of another organization that the next time this comes available, and I have to fulfill my contracts with sponsors, and, and some of you sponsors out there that are really involved, like Jeff, right, and Frank, and, and Marjorie, now don't worry, this is never going to affect you. I'm not going to take away your sponsorships. But I'm thinking about maybe half of the sponsorships becoming grants to, to organizations that I and this audience believes in and that I can have good, solid relationships with, that will be involved with the community, that will not just take, that they will give back. And I want to know from you, who do you think fills that up? The last thing I want to say is, for those of you from the Free State Project, those of you that couldn't be there, that will be there next year, if you will have me back, I will be back. 
Uh, I know this year they had a rule with no speaker could be a re repeat speaker from the last conference. And uh, they even said, like, if Ron Paul wanted to come back, he wasn't coming back. And I was like, well, oh, God, he's not going to have me back. And uh, the guy kind of in charge, Ron Paul's giant, uh, is the guy who was in charge. Let's call him that for this episode. Uh, said, no, 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 no. That was last year. This year might be different, right? So if the Free State folks will have me back, I will be back in New Hampshire. And I will look to bring as many of you guys along with me as I can for that conference. I think it is a, even if you'll never move to New Hampshire, I think you should go. I think it is a transformational experience. I think you can meet people that you can expand your network with. And I think you can contribute to liberty from wherever you are. And, and that was the experience for me. That's the things that are in my head now. Those, those are the things that have me charged up and ready to go forward with TSP harder than ever before. I'm kind of in place now. We might have to go to Texas for a weekend or something, but I'm not going to be going out, so to speak, again until May for the conference with, or the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh what do you call it, I guess, the training with Sepp Holzer, uh, where Paul Wheaton will be there and some members of the ITR. That's in May. So I've got like March and April now where I can really pour it out without the interruption of long-distance travel. And I'm so psyched about it. I have so many interesting things planned for you guys. I got some new stuff on firearms I want to talk about. I got some great guests lined up. And TSP is marching on, folks. It's marching on towards liberty. And what I said, and I'll tell you today, My show's not political. It really isn't. But I do have kind of an evil agenda. I'm not here just to teach preparedness. I'm here to create people that even if politically they would never call themselves libertarian, they're going to stay with Democrat or Republican or not, not included, right, um, are libertarians in their personal life. I believe that when you teach people to look after themselves and their family and their communities, that they become libertarian idealists. They espouse those ideas. They work for them. Even where they see we're like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready to believe it can work here yet. I'm willing to accept the fact that it might be able to. But one thing I'm damn well going to do is live my life in liberty. And that's what it's all about because we talk about survival. We talk about those five survival needs they tell you about in wilderness school. Feeding yourself, clothing yourself, keeping yourself warm, cooking for yourself, giving yourself water, providing yourself security. When you can do that for yourself... It's really hard for someone to use fear to make you give up your liberty. Because you say, I don't need you. And that's the big thing that I think most of those folks up there have in common with this community. We figured out that for the majority of the things that they say we need them for, we don't need them. We need them to, to perform very small roles in our lives and get out of the way. And until they get out of the way, I'm just going to do these things for myself anyway. And with that, this has been another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.